Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. Honesty and truth. I, uh, so I was going to Menards to, yesterday and I was thinking about the sermon. I was looking for, kind of thinking about an illustration I could use. And, it, and an illustration jumped, walked right in front of me. This, this guy was walking out with a, a bag. He was dragging, it like a, like a, has a wheels on it. And he had another bag in his other hand. And I heard this person yelling, and this gal that was yelling at him and says, hey, and, sir, stop, I need to see your receipt. It's like, so I kind of, it was a little bit in front of me, so I didn't see all the reaction. I wasn't totally paying attention. And she got more in front of him and said, I need to receive a receipt. He just kept walking, just defiant, just kept walking. And so some attendants come out and they, you know, basically it was not ugly. It was just like, okay, we need to see this stuff. And they, and he just kept walking. He took the, they took the bags and he just walked on. I'm like, he wasn't running. He just kept walking. It's kind of an interesting. And um, and then they opened the bags, and there's all kinds of tools they pulled out of it, and you know, no reason. And I and I kind of got up closer, and I said, "Does that happen very often?" I mean, they were just so smooth at it; it was like everyday occurrence, you know. And, and well, more than more than we'd like to admit. And and so I just thought, you know, this person had a sense of right and wrong. Because if he would have thought he was in the right, he would have defended himself. It's like, no, this, this is my stuff. You know, even if he thought that, you know, that it was okay to take this stuff, he would have, but he, he knew he was in the wrong. He just kept walking on. He knew that there was a rightness and a wrongness. So clearly he had that in his mind. And I thought it was interesting, but the way that it kind of tapped into this honesty, this truthfulness that we're going to talk about. And the, the absolute truth is the dawn of truth. That's the, at the beginning, there, is there an absolute truth? And it made me think is, how is it that, that even those that don't value the idea of right and wrong have the sense of rightness and wrongness? This guy didn't seem to value rightness and wrongness, but he knew it. In his heart, he knew this was wrong. 
But then the next question would be, and who is to say that taking another's property is wrong? Or who's to say that something is morally wrong? Is that man-made? Or is there something in the cosmos that somehow we just know? I think this is an issue, this idea of absolute truth. We don't use that word a lot, but I will tell you it's on display in every place we look. You look in the news, I don't care if it's the abortion issue or if it's a, any kind of news item issue, what is on display is what people think about truth, in particular, absolute truth. The question I think people are asking or answering is, is God God or is man God? Because if, if God is God, then we need, to, we need to consult what he has to say about truth and honesty. If man is God, then we need to consult each other. And, and whatever is relatively relative for the situation or situational ethics, then we can determine what is true or not true. And that works in some cases, but when you get to morality... When you get to things that are feelings, you get a lot of different opinions on what's truth. Friedrich Nietzsche, 1870s, he wrote a book, All Too Human, and he says there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. And of course, the answer to someone who believes that there is no absolute truth is that are you absolutely sure there's no absolute truth? Yes, absolutely. There's, well, there's a contradiction there. You believe in the concept of an absolute. We may not agree, but you agree that there is a, an absolute if you go down that road. Now, contemporary psychologists don't, they don't, or, um, uh, philosophers don't uh, necessarily talk absolute truths because that word is kind of, uh, they, they set it to the side because it's a, it's a trigger word that people realize that they're going to step on and it's going to. So they, they do things a little bit differently in, in communicating an absolute truth. And so they, they couch it in these kind of phrases. We can never have a God's eye view of the universe. And so the, in other words, uh, there are truths out there that we just don't know. The seminary professors would always say to us is God has communicated to us truly, but he has not communicated to us wholly. In other words, he, there are things that I, you know, lots of things we don't know. In the beginning, God created. He didn't tell me how he did it. He just said he created. He created the heavens and the earth and the animals and everything in it. And he breathed in them the breath of life. How did that happen? I don't know. There's a lot he didn't tell us. But he did communicate. What he communicated to us is true. Do we have all the truth of all the... No, no we don't. So in a sense, this is a, is a true statement, but it's lacking something. But what God did communicate to us, I would add, is true. Or you need to determine whether it's true or not. Even if we don't have the God's eye view. So, so actually, they've kind of repositioned the argument so it doesn't quite have the sting as that no absolute truth, as Friedrich Nietzsche said. Another thing they'll say is all truths are a matter of opinion. Truth is relative. That's another one uh, in cu to culture, to historical epic, to language, society. And, and this is one that, you know, 
I'll say, well, you know, for a certain people group, this is true of, of morality, and another people group say this is true of morality, and so, the, you know, you have to go to different societies, and um, they'll find examples that are compelling, no question, but they're, not, they're, they're skirting around the, what God would say about morality, about marriage, about male and female. They find all kinds of ways to to get around the, the question of absolutes and trying to reposition the argument in some different ways. Another way is all truths that we know are subject, subjective truths. In other words, there's no absolutes is what they're saying. It's just another way of saying there's no absolute truth. They're all subjective, mind-dependent truths. And one of the things that I, I've done some reading on this whole idea, you know, we used to have, oh, yeah, a lot of books, a lot of teaching to our youth on, on abstinence, and you know they would. We had our, you know, had our daughters. We talk about abstinence, and we, you know, actually talk about the the, the value and the importance of abstinence. And um, now there's a lot of books coming out that saying, well, that's just all mind games you're playing with kids, and you're just trying to do this to, and you're lying to them, and it's like, oh my gosh. Um, and some of the things that came out that come out of these books, people always say, yeah, that's, I understand. That's, that's the wrong way of, of packaging that. And it's like, that's, that's fine. But still, at the end of the day, the best way to, to go into a relationship or dating relationship is an abstinence relationship. Because if that doesn't work out, there's emotions involved that you, as a, Teenager, young 20s, you don't have the capacity to handle those things yet. Actually, nobody does. So God set this up, and, and so we see a lot of brokenness in our world because people try to make their own truths. And it's like, if you just stick with what God said is true, he, he made it so that this marriage relationship, this, these relationships can work if, if we... Stick to his truth and not man's truth. There's nothing more than truth than we are willing to assert is true. There's nothing more to truth than what we are willing to assert as truth. And so here again, man is in control of truth. Right? Major difference of of approach. Is God in control of truth or is man? So a couple weeks ago I left off with this, this idea at the end of the sermon. I want to start with it today. Truth is reality from God's perspective. That's a definition that you have to to grapple with. Everyone needs to grapple with that. Or would you tend to say truth is reality from man's perspective? Because I will tell you that everything we're seeing on the news today is is man's perspective. Very, very rarely do we get to see, see God's perspective. And if it is it's marginalized, it's victimized. And I'm, th- I'm going to tell you, it's going to take some, some major courage to, to be in this, to jump into this truth uh, argument and debate as it fleshes itself out. I want to read a passage that I think everyone needs to grapple with. I don't care where you land on this, I, whether you truly believe that there is uh, truth is reality from God's perspective or if you believe truth is reality from man's perspective. Romans 1, 18 through 24, I believe is one that each one of us needs to grapple with. So I'd like you to turn there or it'll be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 18. I think the, the verse on the screen starts in 19. 
It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All right, just real quick. First of all, this thing, it starts off with the wrath of God. That gets my attention. Wait, what's, what's the wrath of God? It doesn't sound good. I don't want to be there. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, when, when you have godlessness and unrighteousness, then, then man is going to suppress truth. If godlessness and righteousness are reigning, then man will suppress the truth. And the, and the converse is true. If you have godliness and righteousness, then man is going to suppress wickedness, lies, right? So the, this, this whole idea of godliness is essential to even be able to, to understand or to be able to stand in truth. There needs to be godliness. There needs to be righteousness. Then men can suppress lies. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to be, we're going to suppress the truth. Continuing on, it says, for, for, what we, for what we can know, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For the, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now, this is a, this is a heavy statement. Because each one of us needs to grapple with a few things here. Here's, here's one of them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power. What invisible attributes do I see? How can you see something invisible? You just saw gravity. You might have thought it. You, had, you didn't even know about gravity until you just saw it. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know there was gravity. Maybe the third time it won't fall. Of course, it's, it's, we know gravity. It's an invisible attribute. It's what holds all our solar systems together. It it's holds, holds us in our seats. His invisible power has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. His divine nature. We look at, his, we look at the power of the ocean. I, I, when I go to the ocean, my, my soul is just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the ocean. Kansas is kind of a long way from the ocean. <laughs> Didn't grow up real close to it, right? So I go there and it's like, I've actually tried to you know, go out on it and tried to boogie board a little bit and I just get destroyed. It's like, oh my gosh, it's just a foreign language to me. I love it, but it's just, it's just massive. His eternal power, his divine nature, mountains are the same. They're majestic. They've been clearly seen through what has been made so that men are without excuse. In other words, we've seen the creation. So there, if you've seen the creation, you are without excuse to know the power, the nature, the, the purpose of God. Here's some things I want to tap into just a little bit. First of all, this, this scientific truth, because scientific truth needs absolute truth. If you don't have absolutes, there's no science. You, science, let me read what someone quoted here. Science is simply the pursuit of knowledge, the study of what we know, and the quest 
to know more. Therefore, all scientific study must by necessity be found, founded upon the belief that there are objective realities existing in the world, and these realities can be discovered and proven. So objective realities, not subjective, sub-objective, real. You have to have something that's real. Okay, electronics, you know, the electron north and south, or the uh, positive, negative charge, the, it, what is in motion stays in motion. Those natural things that we see and know and understand, that's what science, those are, they're essential for science. Cause and effect, they're essential. And we know those things to be true. The denial of these absolute truths as a result has resulted in embracing evolution as the ex explanation of life. And I, I think I've, you know, of all the things that have frustrated me over the years, it's like, it seems like we've lost this argument and it seems like we've been, as Christians, we just hide out on this when it comes around. It's like, okay, our kids are studying evolution and they're the little monkey going, it's like, this, you know, people will come up and say, they'll talk about it being offended. I've been offended forever. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. When I was growing up, I just kind of ignored it. I mean, it's like, I don't know, it wasn't, Either I, either I wasn't paying attention, which was a wonderful thing, or, or we didn't talk about it much. I just don't know. But, you know, when your kids are going through and you're starting to see it in their textbooks and stuff, it's like, man, that's, that's offended me forever. It's like you're, you're telling something I completely disagree with. I'm, I do believe in, you know, change in species and all that. Okay, I get that. I've, I've seen the tortoise, tortoise that has a neck that can go clear to the thing. I mean, and the birds that can change. I get all that. But a bird doesn't turn into an alligator or a vice versa. Never has that been proven ever. And yet we, there's in our textbooks and we just, we've hit out for years over that one. And now we're hiding out over other things. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think we can hide out over some of the things that are coming down the pike because now they're trying to convince us that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. Okay, we can't hide out on that one. Somehow we have to decide, each one of us has to decide, is there God's truth in this? Or am I going to let man's truth determine this? I think there's a big, big issue. So, but, but here's the here's the thing: when we go down this idea of evolution, that we evolved from the a pool of ooze, from goo to you. All right, here it is. If you go, if you believe goo to you, then there's no meaning and no purpose. You came from nothing. Think about this for a second. And I've said this several times from this pulpit, and I don't know. I just I'm going to say it again because it makes me feel better. Um. If you're, if you're telling a child you came from nothing and then basically life is purposeless and meaningless and you're going to nothing, if you came from nothing and going to nothing, but while you're here in this classroom, you've got to behave just like we want you to, right? Why would kids ever? They need to know that they are made in the image of God and they matter to God. And I will tell you guys, that is, that is going to be a bigger challenge. We talk about it with our, with our children's ministries. Like, we get, we get these kids for one hour. And we're going to try to support what everything that you're talking about, we're going to take it even 
to different degrees so that you can have support at home to say, no, you're made in the image of God and you matter to God. You're a little boy and you are special as a little boy. You're made as a little girl and you're special as a little girl. And you matter. God has made you in his image. You're an image bearer of the king as a son. You're an image bearer of the king as a daughter. And you're special. Now, that's either a truth from God or that's, or you're going to believe in the man-made stuff. That's where we're at. But I would say probably if I take a poll, most of you would say, okay, I, I agree with that. Because you probably wouldn't be here if you, if you didn't at least believe that to some degree. But here's the challenge, I think, for each one of us. Is I don't, I don't think we can just ignore it anymore. And this is the challenge of the whole message, really, for me. And, I, and I've, I've kind of come to this. It's like, absolute, do I believe in this absolute truth? Then if I do, then am I supposed to hide it? Am I supposed to, to ignore what's going on in my kids' or my grandkids' lives? If they come home and they're telling me that, that hey, I've been thinking about that I'm identifying more as the opposite sex that I was born with? Man, I just, I just had this funny thought that went through my head. If, if that ever came home around my table when I was growing up to my dad, oh my gosh, I cannot repeat what he would say, but I can hear it in my head. And I, don't, I just wonder if we've kind of lost something somewhere. But if there's, if there's evolution, there's no meaning and purpose. We came from nothing, we're going to nothing. If, we, if there's evolution, no absolute right or wrong. Morals are feelings. And I would say, this is, the, this is the place where relativism comes in and gets some traction, especially in college, right? You're on your own. You go to a philosophy class. Is this real? Is this, was there moral absolutes? Do you really believe you have these feelings inside? Are you, are you, asking, are you telling me that God's not wanting you to act on those feelings? You're supposed to suppress those feelings? You really believe there's absolute truth? I mean, they're getting challenged big time. And all the time when their inside is screaming, I want to believe what he's saying because that feels good. Meaning the professor, not me. Because that pastor voice in my head. It's like, yeah, maybe he didn't think of everything. You see, that's relativism. There's no absolute right or wrong. That's where relativism gets some traction, but it gets real traction when it gets into the feelings. This, even the gender dysphoria, which has been proven to be real. I, I, I don't disagree with it. I'm not debating the fact that that's, that's real, but it's like you... We don't say, okay, while well, you're going through this gender dysphoria and not sure what's, what you believe about male and female, let me help you. You are made in the image of God as a little boy. You're made in the image of God as a little girl. And you're special. That's how we're supposed to be injecting ourselves into these conversations, I believe. Another one is... Uh, Free to live as we please. There's, and finally, I think when you, when you believe and there's an evolutionary process, then, then basically you believe that there's no accountability. 
right? I don't, I don't have to answer. I'm gained from nothing. I'm going to nothing. I don't have to answer for this hunk of time on my life here on earth. It's completely different than what God says. God says we will give an account. There is a reward system. There is a loss of reward system that's going to be in glory. We're going to stand before God and everything's going to be put on display. Some things are going to last. Some things are going to burn up. If you have Christ, you're going to get through this thing. If you don't, God help you. It's not going to go so well. That's why I'm so emphatic. You guys, keep Jesus. You've got to, you've got to keep Jesus. But I will tell you that without these absolutes, where would the study be? How could we know of the findings of science that are real? In fact, the very laws of, of science are founded on the existence of absolute truth. If there's no absolutes, then there's no reality, then chaos would ensue. We, we, it would just be chaos. Well, don't look now, but we're, we're brushing chaos. If two plus two did not always equal four, it would affect civilization. It would be disastrous. Laws of science, laws of physics would be irrelevant. Commerce would be impossible. Would you like to fly to the moon with a scientist that believed that two plus two equaled five? You want to drive an electric car that drives itself with an engineer that believes that two plus two equals six? I don't. I don't want to go across a bridge with a, that an engineer that thought two plus two equaled five. See, absolutes matter. Reality matters. And our science is built on absolutes that God has put in place. How about relative truth? The relative truth is, uh, I'm going to read from the rest of this passage here. It says, verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. In other words, they knew. They, they knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart and to their impurity, to their dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Wow. This, this is a terrifying thing to me. And I believe that when we look at society today and you hear some of the things, the vitriol that we've seen in this abor in abortion arena, I mean, I think that there, this, is my, this is a theory, but I actually have heard some interviews about this. There are people that have been pro-choice for life. But when they've seen some of the vitriol and some of the, the, the position that some of these have, are, people are taking, they're saying, whoa, that's, that's way beyond where I, I would never go there. And they're starting to realize, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm not where they are. There's, when God gives somebody over to their own belief that they're God, their own foolishness, their foolish heart is darkened. And I think we're seeing that on display. The question is, you know, it's what's one thing to see that, and it's actually, it, it's sad to see that, honestly. It doesn't really make me angry. It makes, it makes me sad. It's like, oh my gosh. Uh, it's, it's disturbing, but it makes me sad. But what makes me angry is when it gets into, if it trickles into my kids and my grandkids, that's, that's where it gets my ire up. And that's where I think it's not going to be 
I don't think it's going to be right for us to sit by the sidelines, and I'm not exactly sure what it looks like. Each one is going to have to determine that for yourself. We have to speak the truth. We have to speak it in love and all those things, but I don't think we can hide it. That's, that's key. When it comes to postmodern, you hear this word a lot, postmodern. Two major, if you had to boil postmodern, at least this is how I boil it down. Um, one of the things that postmodern will say is, most postmodernism is, live your truth. You've got your truth, you've got your truth, you've got your, just go live your truth. Whatever's right in your own eyes. You remember that in scripture? That's what they did. They did what was right in their own eyes and there was absolute godlessness and chaos instead of doing what's right in God's eyes. You see, if you don't have a starting point that's God's starting point, then this truth is going to be different than this truth and then versus this truth and everybody's got their own truth. Maybe people in this truth side of the truth said, you know what, I don't think it's really that important to obey red traffic lights. I don't think we need to stop. I think you guys should, but I don't think we need to. How's that going to play out? It's not well. See, when, when these ideas of your own rightness clash with one another, it has, a, it has consequences. Somebody say, might say, it's, I have the right to steal from you. Uh, it's going to clash. Another word, that, another word that we hear in postmodernism champions is tolerance. And really, tolerance is probably the virtue of postmodernism. And intolerance is viewed as the ultimate sin. And so this is where it comes in to, to, to my realm, a Christian's realm, our realm, is because when you, when you have, if you disagree with man's truth, or you bring God's truth into man's truth, then you get labeled intolerant. And if you're intolerant, that is the worst kind of sin for a postmodern mindset. So how do you deal with that? Well, honestly, I think most people just hide out because we don't want to, we don't want to mix it up. And I'll just tell you, that's, I'm not going to tell you, I, I, there's, a, there's a lot of me that would just like to hide out or to avoid or whatever. But it, when it starts getting in, inside of the family, I don't think we can hide. I can't. absolute truth. Is there an absolute truth? Well, I, I do believe there is an absolute truth. God describes the role, and I think one of the reasons we know that there's an absolute is because of conscience. I don't think, the, one of the things that no man can get around is the fact that there's a conscience, and one of the reasons they, they really are vitriol against a particular view that they may have that's a man's view on any issue, abortion, same-sex marriage, all these things, gender, all that. The, the reason they, they get vitriol about it, because way down, it's not, that, it's not that pastors are preaching against this, because I don't think most, most of us are hiding out, quite frankly. What they're fighting, this is my opinion, but what they're fighting against is their conscience. Because way down deep in here, it's not a preacher in their head. It's not even their parent in their head. Let me show you what's in their head. Romans 2, 14 explains what's in their head. 
For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. That's the new covenant. That's what God said is going to happen. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. You're never going to have to say do right or do wrong because people are going to know what's right. You're not going to have to say, here's the law. People are going to know the law. And so what's written in our hearts is this rightness, this wrongness, and God has put it there. And what people are fighting against is that really it's this internal, they're fighting against God. And they're taking it out lots of times on you and me. So that's why it's so important to us. Yes, yes we, need to, we need to push back or we need to stand for truth. And we've got to do it in the right way. And I will tell you that right way is like threading the needle in our society. And it's like, I, I, will, I tell you, I, I pray on this often. It's like, Lord, we've got to hit this, this perfect perfect tone, this perfect bullseye of speaking the truth and speaking it boldly and speaking it in love. But the truth, not my voice, not my vocal cords, that's, it's the truth. It's the light of God's word. That's what changes things. That's what changes hearts. In general, the absolute truth is whatever is always valid, regardless of the parameters or context. You know, I watched the movie one yearly. We watched, I said, I'll watch the movie. It's like yearly, we watch the movie Les Mis. And in Les Mis, there's a uh, Jean Valjean. And he's a, he was put in prison for several years, I don't know, 27 years or something like that, for stealing a loaf of bread. Is stealing wrong? Yes, no question. So what happens? So should he be put away just like everybody else was put away? And that's what basically the, the, uh, the authority in that day, he was, he was the law, and he says, listen, he, he violated, I don't care if you violate, steal a loaf of bread or if you steal an automobile or steal whatever, you're, you go, you're being put away with everybody else. And I think one of the things we have to to discern. God's given us some tools for this gray area. Do you really put away a guy for stealing a loaf of bread? That's what wisdom is. Does the penalty match the crime? That's wisdom. God's given us wisdom. Is it still true that stealing's wrong? Yes, it's true. It's wrong. Should he have been some kind of a punishment? Yes. 27 years in prison? No. He's given us wisdom. He, and, and under that wisdom are two things that he's given us and we need to make sure we give others. Grace and mercy. And if we don't have that wisdom and grace and mercy, when we approach these absolutes, we're going to come across like this long arm of the law that has no, no sense of reality, no sense of mercy. Can't be that guy. We've got to approach these things with, yes, there's truth. There's an absolute truth. And yes, God's given us wisdom, and he's given us two tools, and he's actually unloaded a lot of grace on my life. He's exercised a lot of mercy on my life, and i got to make sure I turn around. Whatever this looks like, I turn around with grace and mercy and wisdom in dealing with truth. When it hits my home, 
When it hits my kids, my grandkids, when it hits there, those are the tools. You've got to arm yourself with that. When I, I watched this guy walk away in Menard. He, it, was, it was kind of odd because he, he was walking kind of fast and they, he didn't stop while she was confronting him. And they, the guys came up and they took the bags and he just, he just walked on. And, and by the time that, I was just walking past and I kind of saw this kind of, kind of just flowed. And it's like, and I was kind of watching him walk away and he didn't run. He just walked. And, and as I was walking in the store, I just thought, dang, if this guy would have just asked the, the right person and the right question, I'd have bought him all, all kinds of tools. I mean, if he, if he needed tools to, I don't know his story. I don't know his story. But if he needed tools to, so he could get a job, so he, if he needed a tool belt, and a hammer and the necessary tape measure, whatever, to go, man. He just didn't know who to ask the right question to. Maybe, maybe it was his pride. Maybe I'd rather go in and risk the shame of getting caught than, I don't know. I, I thought about it a lot, probably too much. Every one of us needs mercy. Every one of us needs grace. Um, be careful with absolute truth because if you get all, all absolute about your absolute truth and you're absolutely right, no question about it, we're right, got it. We gotta do it. We gotta do it in a right way with a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. Father, we are living in a tough society in a way of when it comes to truth. A lot of people are just and it's offensive to us. It's frustrating to us. And we, honestly, Lord, we don't know what it looks like. I don't exactly know what it looks like to push back, to stand firm, to keep the relativism out of my home and my family, our church. Situational ethics outside. Lord, we want... How do we do your truth and your way in a way that is attractive, functional, and something I can stand before you and say, this is, this is my work in this world. Lord, I pray for each person maybe that's grappling with that, how to deal with this truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name.